It's time for your NBA Daily Assist. Now, here's Chris Mannix on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Joining us now, he makes the magic happen at uh, Sports Illustrated. Let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. Sprint is the network built for Unlimited with great deals or on uh, great devices every day. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. He is Chris Mannix with you, uh, with us on our NBA Daily Assist. Hi, Chris. How are you today? What's going on, guys? Hey, big topic conversation around here, Chris, of course, is Mike Conley's struggle thus far outside of kind of a half against the Clippers last week, uh, but off to a slow start so far with the Jazz, and kind of the big theme around here is making him more comfortable. But can you talk about what's going on with Mike and what you expect going forward? Yeah, it, it's, it's hard to say exactly what's going on, except that you do have to remember that Mike Conley has played, um, you know, obviously one organization and yeah, for the most part, one style for for much of his professional career, and coming to the Jazz and you know trying to adjust as the playmaker in in Quinn Snyder's offense and and doing all the things, working with Donovan Mitchell, finding chemistry with his backcourt mate. I, I think those are real things, and it, it's not apples to apples analogy, but I mean I spent a lot of time around Kemba Walker in Boston, and Kemba really struggled to open the season. Like he didn't make anything. He was kind of like Mike Conley esque in the first uh, couple of uh, uh, two or three games. And, and then he kind of came around. He just he was having some issues, you know, figuring out how to blend his game in with his new teammates, and it took him some time. And, and I, I, I think guys like Kemba and, and Mike Conley, they're just too talented. I mean, they're just too smart and too good of basketball players not to figure it out. So it, I won't say I'm not shocked that, that Mike's had the troubles he's had, but I do think that he's, he's got to figure it out. I think he's just too good and, and still playing at a high level. Another issue, Chris, with the Jazz has been rebounding, defensive rebounding. They've been allowing opponents in their last two games to beat them on their on the opponent's offensive glass. What can be done about that? Do you think that it's a matter of having raw-boned rebounders, or is it a matter of positioning yourself so the other guy can't get it? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't mean to punt on it, but it's, it's a little bit of both, I think. I mean, you lose a Derek Favors, and you lose some – some rebounding certainly in that mix. I mean, you try to play a little bit smaller on that front line to create more spacing. You lose some rebounding. So that, I think, is going to be uh, both a need to maybe work in bigger bodies and kind of a team-wide adjustment. You've, you've got to be have kind of a gang rebounding mentality when you're when you're playing a little bit of, of smaller a smaller brand of basketball. I, I just I think you got to you know spread the wealth when it comes to rebounding. You can't just rely on Gobert to to hang out down there. I mean, look, honestly, oftentimes centers, their best rebounding attribute is their ability to box out. I mean, I look at Brooke Lopez as a great example of this. Brooke Lopez will never lead the re- league in rebounding, but you ask any big man that's ever played alongside him, he's tremendous at boxing out. He is the best boxer-outer, I think, in the entire NBA. And, you know, Gobert's going to take up a lot of space, but if he's taking that space up, Somebody's got to get in there and be the rebounder while he's absorbing some of those bigger bodies. Chris, we're going to see the Sixers here at this building uh, coming up on Wednesday night to take on the Jazz. They are the last undefeated team left in the NBA. What's working so well for them? I mean, I saw them play a couple of times um, early in the season. Uh, the, the Portland game, notwithstanding, that was a little weird with how much offense was there. They're a great defensive team, a great defensive team with the potential to get even better as they develop chemistry on that end of the floor. I mean, they have got incredible size with Embiid and Horford as two of the best defensive bigs in the entire NBA. 
they kind of stagger them, and, and you'll see Embiid pulled out maybe three or four minutes in the first quarter and kind of blend both those guys at the five. But you put Josh Richardson, who can guard one to three, you know, you might see him, uh, you know, you probably see a lot of him on Donovan Mitchell, uh, but maybe even see him on Mike Conley at different points. Uh, they're great. They really are defensively. You can, if you can score on them, though, you can beat them because I think they are having some issues offensively. You got to make Ben Simmons a shooter. You got to make everybody a shooter, frankly, because they'll beat you up on the inside. But they're a potential Finals team because even if they do struggle defensively, you can see that team holding good opponents into the 80s in some of their scoring. Chris, is this the year that Donovan Mitchell uh, sort of ascends to uh, what a lot of people thought he could be after seeing the hints that he's dropped over the last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, you hope so. I mean, I think he's certainly got the potential and the talent to do it. And I think as Mike Conley comes along, you'll see Donovan Mitchell come along. I think it's got to have an effect on Donovan to – yeah, to not be to not have your point guard struggling as mightily as Mike has, but I think once Mike gets into a rhythm, it'll have a positive effect on Donovan. And there's nothing I've seen, um, you know, in the first couple of years that doesn't that doesn't make me fully believe that Donovan Mitchell is going to you know emerge as a star. I mean, the only thing that that trips you up was when you saw his actual height in the preseason. Man. I think he lost what two inches. Uh, there, but we all kind of knew what he was height-wise anyway, but I think Kong is the perfect kind of sidekick for, for Donovan. He's just a he's, a he's a shooter when he's on. Yeah, he can, he's a creator. He, he's unselfish. I mean, I think, I think that's going to turn out to be a terrific relationship. Chris Mannix, Sports Illustrated with us on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Chris, Chris, it would appear that Luka Doncic is for real. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think one of the great storylines in the years to come is going to be Luca and Trey Young. You know, obviously they're inextricably linked because of what happened on draft night, but uh, they are they are both special players. And you know, you watch Luca, and you know that pairing with Porzingis is just going to be incredible. I and mean, you guys are familiar, of course, with with Stockton and Malone, how good they were on pick and roll. Like Luca and Porzingis is Stockton and Malone like this generation. And, and what I mean by that is. You know, instead of just rolling the way Carl did, you know, you got Porzingis who can pop the three-point line, Luca who can score it from different angles. That is a lethal pick and roll combination. So, I'm I'm excited to see what what Luca does. I think he has MVP potential. I really do, and and I, I think he has he can really be a special player. Chris, uh, Steph Curry gets hurt, breaks that hand. Boy, what do you what do you do if you're the Warriors? What do you think is going to happen with this team as the year unfolds? Yeah, I guess it's how long is Steph out. I mean, the initial prognosis, I guess, is three months. So that puts you, what, into late February at that point. And it, it seems more likely than not that Clay Thompson is not going to play this year. So if it turns out Steph is, is you know, still kind of battling to come back, maybe it's sit him down for the rest of the year and make this sort of a redshirt year for, for all these guys. Um, they certainly could use it rest-wise. I mean, they've had a long run of, of seasons, and, and maybe they need uh, a bit of a break. But I, I think that's... I think it's going to be – there's no avoiding the lottery. It's the question of where they fall in the lottery. And, look, it could be a blessing in disguise if you're Golden State because, you know, for the next few years, you've got Steph, you've got Clay, you've got um, Draymond Green, you've got D'Angelo Russell, you can also flip for something else. And then maybe you get yourself another high lottery pick that all of a sudden you plug a big hole that you have and, and you can make a run at the finals as early as next year. So – you know, it's going to be a tough year for them. There's no avoiding it, but it could turn out in 2020 and beyond that, that they they found a way to a long-term success. 
Chris, you look at the uh, the top of the Western Conference standings. You've got Minnesota at four and one over there in the East. You have Miami at five and one. Who's been the the biggest surprise from a positive standpoint? Oh, Miami is, I think for sure. Um, you know, because of the contributions they're getting. I mean, I, I couldn't have picked uh, Kendrick Nunn out of a lineup uh, <laughs> as recently as two weeks ago, and and all of a sudden he's out there making shots and looking like a real fine for them. He's like Hassan Whiteside 2.0. You know, sort of the G Leaguer vagabond that. That, that has turned out to be a player in that Miami developmental system. This is why Miami Miami always believes that you give them talent, they will maximize talent. They have just constantly believed that their player development system is as good or better than anybody in the league. So uh, I'm not surprised they're able to find another diamond in the rough. And I don't know what their ceiling is. I mean, I still think, you know, Tyler Harrow, excellent young player, going to turn into a, a guy that can be a long-term starter in this league. But uh, there's still one star short from making a run, I think, in the East. You know, I, I, I'm not at all surprised by what I've seen from Minnesota. I mean, the Andrew Wiggins stuff has been better than expected, but Ryan Saunders is an excellent coach, and I, I have long praised Quinn Snyder on your show over the years. I think Ryan Saunders is cut out of that Quinn Snyder cloth. I think he's a, another young coach who's incredibly smart, who obviously has the background of having his father being a longtime NBA coach. I think he's the right fit for that group. They bought into what he did at the end of last year, and now they've kind of picked up in a way where they left off. So I think they've got staying power uh, in the playoff mix, Minnesota does. Speaking of great coaches, and by the way, I'm a big I'm a big believer in a difference a coach can make. Obviously, here the great coaches always say, well, you got to have players. I get that. But you mentioned the Heat. Uh, Spolster, this guy really can coach, can he? He's, he's got to be one of the best coaches in the league. Oh, if he's not the best coach, he's top three at worst. I mean, you can throw Popovich and Doc Rivers, maybe one or two other guys into that mix, but Spolster's excellent, and he does it just by, you know, preaching discipline, excellent play calling, and just working hard every single day. I mean, they have rules in Miami. You have to be a certain level of condition if you want to play for them, and if you're not, you're going to get, you know, tossed on the inactive list and told to stay back in South Beach and, you know, run. That's just kind of what they what they do there and it, it's consistent i think part of it too is having a pretty structured system you've got mickey harrison at the top pat riley in the middle and eric spolstra uh coaching things everybody knows their jobs everyone supports the other and there's no ambiguity in miami you know who's in charge you know what's going on chris of course you are a man of many talents tell us a little bit about this broadcast you're going to be a part of uh, coming up saturday at staples center it's fun. I mean, it's, it's a, a fight headlined by two YouTube stars, KSI and Logan Paul, who are very popular in that community. So you've got you know, two guys flat squaring off at Staples Center. They fought a fight in the amateur ranks over in London a year ago. If you haven't seen it, they just blasted away at each other for, for six rounds. And, and now you have them moving into the pro ranks as pro fighters. They're losing the headgear. It's going to be a wild scene. I mean, if you're, it's, it's a very, uh, I don't know, what's before what's, before millennial, what's the new generation called? What are teenagers in twenty, early twenty somethings called uh, these days? It's that group of people coming to see that fight, and and to benefit boxing, you're going to have like young fighters like Devin Haney and and a few others that are getting an opportunity to shine on that stage. That's Saturday night, and we'll be doing the broadcast for DAZN, uh over at Staples. So, Chris. Uh... For those of our audience that uh, are casual boxing fans but don't check out everything that's going on, who's the best fighter on the planet right now? I maintain it's Canelo Alvarez. I was calling his, his fight on Saturday for DAZN against Sergey Kovalev. He moved up two weight classes and knocked out Kovalev in the 11th round of that fight. 
I don't know that Canelo is necessarily the most talented fighter in the world. You've got Vasily Lomachenko, who is a two-time Olympic gold medalist. You've got Terrence Crawford, who is a terrific fighter at 147 pounds. But at some point, resume matters. It's like in any other sport. Your resume should matter for something. Canelo Alvarez has the most impressive resume of any fighter in boxing. Won titles in three weight classes, has fought the best in every weight class, or one of the best at least, in every weight class. That matters. So I think Canelo, in addition to being the most popular fighter in the world, boxer in the world, I think he should be included as the number one fighter in the world. One last question for you. I need your advice, Chris. My partner over here, Jake, uh, I, you know, I never knew he was a baseball fan at all, but for the past three weeks he's been wearing a Washington Nationals hat. He hasn't taken it off, and I don't know what to do with him, you know, and he claims he's a lifelong Nationals fan. We going did back it, to- Gordon. I don't know what to tell you. We made it. We <laughs> he's, arrived. He's, he's wearing it again today, Chris. I don't know what to do with him. Hey, ride it, ride it until it's over. I, I was – as someone that grew up a Red Sox fan, as recently as like three days ago or four days ago, whenever it was, I was saying the Red Sox are the reigning World Series champions. So, like, it's, yeah, see? You, you, you can get 360 more days of this, my friend. Keep, keep uh, pushing that on as long as you can. And by the way, the name of the new generation, apparently, according to Google, is the new silent generation. There we go. So KSI, Logan Paul with the new silent generation at Staples Center. All right, Chris, you are the best. Thank you so much as always, and we'll catch you next week. You got it, guys. Chris Mannix, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated. That ended in a controversial draw last year, by the way. Did it really? The The KSI and uh, Logan Paul fight. Oh, all right. Uh, Like we said, Chris, uh, multi-talented. Not only is he uh, a great NBA writer and analyst, but he's one of the foremost voices in the boxing world, so kind of fun. You guys lost your passion for boxing at all? I mean, it's... I was I had mild interest in, in boxing at best. I had a speed bag as a kid, Jake. Did you? Uh, let me tell you about that Well, before you can get your story out. Okay, that's what's coming, isn't it? No, no, no. Not You're at all. You're dying to talk no, about I'm it. No, I'm not. Go ahead. I am not. Go I ahead. Did, the thought didn't even cross my mind. I, 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 mean, I get the fickle finger of fate pointed right at me. Okay, here. let me let me set this off, <clears throat> Gordon. At any point uh, in your <laughs> existence, were you a boxing fan or into boxing? I was over I was, the weekend. I had a speed bag when I was a kid. <laughs> Wasn't going to bring it up. No, was not not going to do it. My son-in-law is a big boxing fan. He loves it. We've heard this and story a hundred times. I, I, uh, Let's move on. I didn't bring up the speed bag. I didn't bring it up. I didn't say one word about it. Did you uh, grow up with any boxing-related equipment, Gordon? <laughs> just want you were just wondering. I just, I just I had know. a speed bag when I was a kid. I did like that. Thing. Yeah, was, there it, it is. Was fun. <laughs> Ninety-seven-five and twelve-eighty. The zone. I hammered that thing. I know we don't talk a lot of boxing on this show, but over the weekend, I had a speed bag when I was a kid. 